school systems around the world so we're getting ready to go live here in just a moment as we get ready in our praise and worship time I want to read to you from Psalm 34 it says I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth now so I was thinking about that I was thinking if that's true of us then grumbling and griping and complaining can't be around right that's what happened to the children of Israel right they got in trouble with God because they were grumbling and complaining the Bible said he led them that way teach them how to look to him and to hunger and thirst for him and that's what God does in our lives amen so let's try to start that again let's go off the air and cut no I'm just kidding <laughs> I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth My soul shall boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What a word. Amen. Now, there's a difference between seeking and just hanging around, right? I've told you this before. A lot of folks think that the grandmother loves one grandchild more than the other. But that's not true. Grandmothers love all their grandchildren, right? All the grandmothers said? Amen. But sometimes, one of the grandchildren will pursue the grandmother more than the rest of them. I was that way. I really had a good relationship with my grandmother. It may have looked like she loved me more, and she probably did, but I'm just... I'm just. Uh, but I was always there. I would always seek her out. We used to have... she, Even though we grew up in the holler, she taught me how to drink tea properly. We would always have tea, and she did some things. She didn't go past the sixth grade, but she... She knew how to do some things. She knew how to skin a buck and run a trot line, too. But they don't love more. They just increase their love. But sometimes, one of the grandchildren will go after them harder, will seek them out. Hear what I'm saying? You want God to show up in your life and bring His blessings in? Then seek Him out. Don't just hang around. Seek Him out. Amen? Say it with me. Some trust chariots and horses but we trust in the name of the Lord give him praise God is good and all the time he's faithful I'm going to show a couple of verses to you before I get into the meat of what I'm going to go back to some stuff from last week I don't believe the Holy Spirit was finished with that uh, so I want to, uh, the first verse is going to be Hebrews chapter 2 
verse 1. Don't you think about this for a moment as we live in the last days. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard. Not something coming new, just the things we've heard, right? Nothing new under the sun. We get fresh revelation, but nothing's new to God. He's not getting any new information. He knows it all. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. <clears throat> now, let me clarify that for you. The uh, rendering of that should s sound like this, lest we lose our grip and other currents move us away. Your grip and my grip should be on the Lord Jesus Christ, which in turn also means His Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word for, will stand forever. So basically what this verse is saying, it says, we must keep our grip on the Lord, lest other currents cause us to drift away from what we've heard. And what we've heard is the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and all the things that we talked about, some of that last week. Let's go to the next verse. Same book, Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 11, verse 27. Look what it says about Moses. It says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So that's who we are. We are people who hold on to God's word no matter what's going on around us, and we're also the people who see that which is invisible. That's the spiritual realm. So that's how we make it. That's how we not only make it. That's how we increase. That's how we flourish in the things of the Lord. We, by seeing Him who's invisible and hanging on to the Word, even when it's tough, even when we don't feel like it, even when... So what happens, if we go back to the first verse I showed you, what happens to people is... We, if we don't hang on to Jesus slash the Word, we will have other things cause us to move, be moved away, currents, other currents. And that's kind of what happened with Peter. As long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But when he saw these other currents going on around him, and that's the challenge we have living in the kind of world we live in, to stay focused on what God told us. What he and see, the Lord did good. He gave us a backdrop. He gave us things that are for our lunch bucket, today, lunch bucket today that we can put in our lunch bucket and take to work with us. And then he gave us shots of the future so we wouldn't be caught off guard. So all the things that we're seeing going on, we've all been told about through the Word of God. So and we've, God's Word's been proven clearly to be true over and over and over and over again from the, from the, the data that came out. It's been many years ago now, but it's in my lifetime where they found the chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea with some of their cameras. So God's Word is great. It's perfect. It's true. So you can bank your whole life on that, all right? Now, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you something in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, before I use the board just for a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look at verse 18. Listen what he's saying here to us about the Lord and about the things that we have available to us. He says, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Now think about that for a minute. Everything in him. God turns nobody away if you come through the Son. If you come on your own, 
If you come on some merit that you think you should have, if you come in some false religion, Mohammed or Buddha or any other false god like that, you're not going to have the things of God. It's not going to be yes, all right? He says, by me, he says, a yes and no, but in him was yes, for all the promises of God in him are yes. All of them in him are yes. And last week we talked about the reason why, because of the cross, all right? Everything we needed was paid for there on the cross. And so everything we're hoping for even now was all secured on the cross. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. He says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and Him amen. That means so be it. We come into agreement with it. To the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God with you in Christ and has anointed us in God who has also, also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's capitalized, the Holy Spirit. So what we need has already been paid for at the cross. All right? How many of you are familiar with the trust? Have you ever read anything about it? A trust has three parties involved. I wrote these up here. If you have a trust, there are three, a trust fund that's set up, there are three parties involved. There's a grantor, there's a trustee, and a beneficiary. The grantor is the one who sets up the trust and populates it with assets. That's Jesus. All right? He's, what I'm saying to you in Isaiah 53 and the cross, what I'm going to show you this morning, that's our trust. That's our trust fund. The, the Lord has set it up himself, and he's populated with all the things we need to sustain our life and to be blessed and to make it, all right? That's what happens with a trust fund. There's also a trustee, somebody who's the manager of the assets. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the one I just read about at the end of that passage there about we've been given the Holy Spirit. He's the one who manages the assets and the trust. You find that clearly in Romans 12 where he talks about the gifts and in 1 Corinthians 12 where he talks about the manifestations. A lot of people confuse those. But he said, the Bible says he does it as he wills, not as we will. So there's a grantor that sets up the trust and populates it with the assets, whatever they are. There's a trustee who manages the trust or the assets. And then there's a beneficiary, which is you and I. We are the recipients of the assets. That's basically how God's kingdom set up around the cross. That is your trust fund. Tell your neighbor, there's your trust fund right there. Thought you wasn't going to get one, and you had one all the time, right? A far better trust fund than anybody in the natural will ever leave you is right here in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He's got healing there. He's got forgiveness there. He's got eternal life. He's got victory there. He's got the Nike there. He's got your shame gone away. Your iniquities covered. Everything you need is covered with the assets in this trust fund. And that's how it works in the natural, but it's also a premise of how it works in the supernatural. So Jesus set up a trust fund. Say, Jesus, thank you for setting us up a trust fund. A trust fund that's not only for here and now, because a trust fund, if somebody is fortunate enough to have a trust fund set up for you, then it's going to go, you're going to use it for a while, and then you're going to die as well. Cheer up. But this trust fund is eternal. Woo! 
Anybody feel that besides me? This trust fund is eternal. So he's got you covered now, and he's got you covered when you cross over to the other side. The stuff he blesses you with now for provision, they use as blacktop on the other side. So this is your trust fund, the work of Jesus Christ. He is, he is the one who's given us all the things we need. All the things that we need are yes in Christ. Now you start to understand a little bit when the Bible talks about being predestined. Not in its extreme form that says some people are picked and chosen based on whatever. Right? God doesn't do that. He picks us in His Son. So predestination in its biblical form is in Him. Everybody say, in Him. In Him, I have eternal life. In Him, I live and I move. In Him, I have all the assets of the trust fund. In Him, outside of Him, I don't have anything. So that's where it comes in. God has predestined all these things for those who will join into him. That's the biblical form. God doesn't pick and choose winners. The Bible says it's not his will that any would perish, right? So he didn't say, well, you can go to heaven, you can't. That's not how God works. That's a, that's a distorted view of the Scripture. What, what he's, when he's talking about predestination, and predestination is about everything in Christ. So all these things you have available to you, you have them predestined for you if you get in Christ. They're in Christ. And, and might I say that Abraham was called by God not only for divine privilege, which he received, but also for divine responsibility. God was going to hand him off some things. So you and I are not only recipients of all the good things of God, but we also now become responsible. You joined the family. So you don't get to sit on the porch every time they get the weed eater out. You have to go pick some corn too. You have to hold the taters like everybody else and pick the t tater bugs off. Or if you want me to be proper, potato bugs. So you, you, you have to participate. You have to help plant the crops. We plant, we water, we all join in together, right? The assets are there, but there's also now divine responsibility. God brought you into his family. He brought you into his circle. And so there are some responsibilities for all of us. So the event on the cross through the resurrection, that is our trust fund. Everything we needed is there. Now, with this thought in mind, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, we are told what Jesus is going to do for us when he comes and hangs on the tree. All right? When he comes and hangs on the cross. Isaiah prophesies this about Jesus hundreds of years before he came to let us know these are the things that your trust fund will be populated with. All right? He says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In verse 1, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't come like a king, although he was the king of kings. He came as the lowly, right? He didn't stand out by his uh, position. He is despised and rejected by men. So he's rejected by the very people that he came to do all these good things and to populate the trust fund. That, that trust fund was populated for Adolf Hitler, for Charles Manson. It's, if it's not his will that any perish, but that all come under repentance, that's the key. 
not assimilation, but repentance. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you must repent. You must recognize that you were at odds with him. We were all at odds with him. It's not just you and, you and me or whoever. It's everyone. All of us are born into sin. There's none good, no, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags because we somehow think that our performance will get some favor with God. That's not what gets favor with God. What gets favor with God was his only begotten son's performance, and now I'm in him, and that's how I find favor with God. Can somebody say amen? So the trust fund is what, here's what it's populated with. Uh, he says, he has despised, rejected men, acquainted with grief. As we hid it, as we, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our grief. Is anybody carrying grief this morning? There's an antidote for that in your trust fund. Jesus is still the answer. He carried our sorrows. Is anybody feeling sorrow this morning? Anybody watching me? Anybody get this podcast? He's still the answer for all of that. You, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, my sin. That's the greatest news in the universe, right? That I have somewhere to go to offload my sin, thanks to the trust fund that Jesus has created by his redemptive work at Calvary. Then he says, he was bruised for our iniquities, that tendency Toward sin, that desire to live after the flesh. He was bruised for all, he's covering all the bases so you and I can live a happy life, one with joy. And why would we need to live a life of joy? Look to your neighbor and see if they got joy on them. If they don't, I got a bottle of skin bracer I'll throw down there to you. Not everybody understands that, I know. But the joy of the Lord is our strength, so it's important for you to maintain your joy. I'm going to say a few things here, and I hope you'll pick them up. Your joy is important. And I know the world is kind of flipped upside down in some ways, but your joy is not supposed to come from the world anyway. Your joy comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your joy is not even supposed to come from your, what God uses you in. Because you don't make anything happen anyway, and neither do I. It's the Holy Spirit makes everything happen. So we can't take any credit for anything. In fact, they came back and said, we've been casting out demons and everything. And she said, that's good. But you need to rejoice because your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen. Somebody to give God praise for that. You know why we get caught, even in the church sometimes, we get caught up, our identity becomes in what the Lord, now let me say this right. Our identity comes in what the Lord has equipped us to do and doing it through us, and we take on that identity. That's not your identity. Your identity is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you should go out and have brownies and ice cream with Him sometimes. So you can have a smile on your face and have some joy. He'll take you to Dairy Queen, get you a dip cone. You need to have some joy in your life. And, and that keeps us from being prideful and egotistical like we're something. We're all just mere men and women. We don't have any great men and women of God. We have a great God who uses common men and women, and we should be thankful for that. So we're, our identity is a son and a daughter of God. You know, your child, as they grow up, they may go out and become whatever. Right, but when they come home, guess what? They're your son and daughter, aren't they? You don't greet them and say, my, my, how's my beautiful lawyer doing today? Right, you don't greet them that way. 
You don't greet them. How? You greet, that's your son and daughter, and you treat them as such because they're part of that unit. They're part of that circle, and they have a different relationship with you than the lawyer who knocks at the door, unless they're actually your son or daughter as well. So you understand that it doesn't matter what they move into or how they're used in the culture, they're still your son and daughter. And you still hang out that way, right? They may go to work and wear a suit and tie. They may come to your house in a pair of shorts and t-shirt, right? Because there's a different relationship going there. And so God, we understand that he uses us, but it's his power. It's not our power. It's his power. Now, let me go on. He says the other things he did. He was chastisement for our peace was upon him. That's a challenge in the world we live in for you to maintain shalom. Now, shalom means, it's not just I feel better, but shalom means the cessation of againstness. In other words, if you have peace, let me say this, you can't have any peace if you're not right with God. It's impossible, especially for those who know better. Now, we're talking about a world that's blind. I understand that. But anybody that's been exposed to the Holy Spirit, to the ways of Jesus Christ, to God the Father, you can't have any peace if you're, if you're at odds with Him. It's not possible, right? So that's, that's why everything comes back to here. If you understand who the judge is, if you understand who the help is, if you understand who the Savior and the healer and the deliverer is, you can get everything in Him. And it doesn't matter all the currents going around you. You can maintain your joy and your peace by coming to Him. Because it doesn't matter if somebody else forgives you or not. All that matters is if Jesus forgives you. Some people may never forgive you. That's beyond them. Because we're told to forgive. But Jesus will forgive. He said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. you got a place to go where the assets are immeasurable. Can't even measure them all. And so Jesus Christ has set up this trust fund where you can come and get all the things of God. We're going to get into that in just a moment here. And then he says, uh, well, let me finish this shalom. If you use shalom, and I try to use this, in fact, I use it, uh, you'll be getting another newsletter this week probably. Uh, we're going to try to put those out every month, and I usually sign shalom. And when I sign shalom, I'm saying, or you're saying, that if I say shalom to Lee, what Lee knows automatically, if I use that terminology, is that everything's good between Matt and the Lord, and everything's good between Matt and I. Now, if Lee says shalom back, then I leave with the same understanding, right? Lee's good with God, and he and I are good. If, I, if, if Lee says shalom to me, and I say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> then Lee's got a couple options. Something's between me and Matt. Now, I'm not saying we can all get this practice because we're not Jewish, but I'm trying to give you an understanding. Or something may be between Matt and God, and, he's, and it's messing with him, Right? That's a powerful word when you think about it. When you think about using that word shalom, that you're saying a mouthful, I'm good with God and I'm good with whoever you're saying it to. Right? So you go home to your wife, and your wife says shalom, honey, and you say, what's going on around here? <laughs> she knows something's wrong. Not only because you didn't say shalom, but because you sounded like Archie Bunker as soon as you came through the door. Boy, he had a voice, didn't he? Eat it! <laughs> so, you get the power of behind peace or shalom, the cessation of against us. When you go to the cross, 
and grab that splintery cross and confess and receive Jesus Christ, God has ceased being against you. Now, let me explain that. God is not against people for the sake of being against them. He's righteous. And if we live in unrighteousness, there's a divide there automatically. It's not that God's sitting up there picking, I don't like them. There's a divide. When we live in unrighteousness, there's a divide between that and the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus felt on the cross. Everybody say, it's what the preacher thinks. Jesus was sinless, right? He didn't have any sin. He was tempted in all points like us, the Bible says, yet without sin. So he never missed the mark. He never failed. But somewhere, some point on that cross, all of our sin was laid on him. And I believe that it happened when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because, now listen, because he felt separation. See, that's what separates us from God is sin. And the Jesus had never known that. See, he'd never had sin in him. So for a moment on that cross, when he felt, and that's why he's able to secure us, I think, is how Paul says in Hebrews, he's able to comfort us when we come to him because he was tempted in all points. And he felt that separation that sin causes that brings us apart from God. He felt that. He, in his mind, in his knower, in his spirit, God's never going to leave him, right? But he felt the separation that sin causes. And that's what's wrong with the world. They're separated from God. And you and I have the answer because we've had that gulf that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. He's he's made the divide up. He's caused the divide to be made up so we can cross over and experience the righteousness of the Father. But most people aren't seeing that, are they? I'm going to share this vision. Some of you heard me say it before, but I had this vision many years ago. And... God always gives us visions that tie into what we can understand, right? I think we see that even in the Scripture. But I was standing at a great canyon, a great gulf, and there was a train track. I used to, one of my jobs in the mines was to load train cars. That was part of my job. And so the train track was from this side of the gulf to the other side, just one little train track. Has anybody ever seen a train track? They're about yay wide. Anybody know how yay wide is? Anybody use that terminology besides me? Does anybody ever say yay wide? <laughs> yay wide's about four, three to four inches. That's how much yay wide is. So I, in my vision, I was watching, and Jesus had a wheelbarrow. And he was putting people in that wheelbarrow and, and taking them to the other side, letting them out, coming back. He was walking that rail. He came back to this side. He'd pick somebody else. Finally, I got up to where the canyon was at and, and I looked and the bo- there were countless bodies laying in the canyon dead and Jesus was there and, and I said Lord what's, what's wrong with these what happened to these people and he said those are the people who tried to cross over on their own see getting in that wheelbarrow would take faith wouldn't it that's how we please God Would you get in the wheelbarrow if it was me running you back and forth? Thanks a lot. I wouldn't get in it with you neither. (laughs) But if Jesus is pushing the wheelbarrow over, right, 
But that's the world, right? That's the world at large. They, they're trying to find this utopia, whatever it is. Some try it in addictions. Some try it in different kinds of highs. Some follow false religions. Some do it in wealth and materialism. Whatever they're trying to get that high out of or that find that utopia. And the fact still remains, you can't get to the other side unless you get in the wheelbarrow and let Jesus push you over there. Figuratively speaking. So he's offered us. Look what else he says here in this. He says, uh, The chastisement of our peace was on him. By his stripes we are healed. And we are like sheep gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your trust, he's made provision. As I read to you in Matthew chapter 18 last week, that he said he's carried our sicknesses and our sins. Everything you're going to need, he's carried. He's the provider. All right? He's providing. Now let's go to the New Testament real quickly. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, I want to read to you this kind of like the New Testament version of what's happened here for your trust fund. You have a trust fund. You have a trust fund that's far more important than any other trust fund you've got. This is more important than your retirement fund. It's more important than any of that, right? None of us have the promise of tomorrow, so we better lay a hold of this trust fund in Jesus Christ and put our confidence in that. Your money won't get you across the other side. You still got to get in the wheelbarrow. You got you to get to the other side. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now, our posture for battling. Now, here's what I'm trying to get across. And I preached this last week. I've slowed down a little bit because I want to get this concept in you. Our posture for battling now is not the moment. See, that's where we get all mixed up. We get up. We're trying to take this battle in the moment. We must war from the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where you've got to war from. You can't stand here and war from the moment. You've got to be prepared, right, before you get to the battle. What did Jesus say? No man goes to battle without first counting the cost. So you've checked the storeroom, and we have plenty of assets, so the devil don't leave because you raise your voice. I grew up around some of that, and I used to think the devil got scared when we raised our voice. He don't get scared when we the devil is afraid of us when we look to Jesus and not to something else. Amen. Amen. Now, I raise my voice sometimes because it's my personality, and I'm excited about what I preach and teach. But that ain't where the power's at. The power's in the Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. And I've seen God do just as much with a still small voice as I've seen in a loud voice. He's this, that way. Amen. And so he says, and he says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All right? Those who love God. Everything. Now the Greek, the rendering of this says it like this. God enters into all things to work them to good. God's not responsible for your mess or mine. He don't make messes. When we get in a mess, here's the good news of the trust fund through Jesus Christ, when you and I make a mess of things, God's willing to enter into that and to bring good out of it. That's how the Greek is trying to get this across. God enters into all things to work them for good. He don't cause the mess. He didn't make David kill Uriah, but God entered into that and brought good out of it, right? Because David repented. And God, so God's not responsible for our stupidity or our sinning or our bad choices. But what God is saying, because he's mindful of us, knows that we're made of dust, and knows that we're his sons and daughters, he's saying, I'll enter into that thing and bring good out of it, right? 
And that's how God is. He enters into all things to bring good. All we have to do is call upon Him and ask Him in. And then He says, uh, if God is for us, let me back up. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's all through His Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So you get justified in Christ. And once you get justified, you have access to the trust fund, which is provision in every way, physically, spiritually, and mentally. What, men shall, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what I'm trying to get across to you, when the battle comes, whatever your battle is, maybe you need provision, maybe you need healing in your body, maybe you need healing in your mind, maybe you need God to move financially, maybe you need to move in a relationship, whatever. You need to go straight to the cross because all of that stuff was paid for at the cross. So it's kind of the same kind of, a scenario that when Moses went to, was getting ready to go see Pharaoh, the Bible says God said, you tell him that the I am sent you. And when you study that Hebrew word, it's like it's the, it's the idea you get behind it. It's like God getting his checkbook, pulling a checkbook, handing it to Moses, saying, write in it whatever you need. That's basically what God was saying to Moses. He said, you tell them. And he was really ministering to Moses more than he was Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was going to reject him. But Moses was walking in that door with a blank check. You get the idea? Moses was coming in, and they said, what do you want here? He said, I'm going to buy the whole place. Because God said, I'm behind you, right? I've got a trust fund set up for you. I've paid for all this. You go where I tell you to go, and I'll take care of you. I am the great I am. So that's the same thing I'm trying to get across to us. You and I got to understand that when you get in a battle, it's not out, you're not there to outmaneuver Satan or outsmart him. In fact, I want to say this to you. The devil's been working on men and women for 6,000 years. He knows how to work on us. The Bible says that there's a spiritual aspect of what happened to the, the serpent in the garden. The Bible said he was cursed and he eat the dust of the earth after that. And he's been doing that ever since. Because we're made out of the dust of the earth. And he's been chewing up men and women and spitting them out ever since the garden. There's a spiritual principle at work there. So when you're getting ready to deal with Satan, you don't run him off because you raise your voice. You don't run him off because of your years of service. You don't raise him up because you, of what church you go to. You overcome the enemy through Jesus Christ. When you get over there in the book of Jude and they're fighting over the body of Moses, and i got reasons for that that we can't get into or we'll chase a rabbit off from here all the way to Rockcastle County. You have to wait till I get into Revelation to get into all that. But the Bible says Michael came in, he's an archangel. Right, one of the archangels, Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel, and then you got the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These guys are archangels. They're, that's why Satan had a charge over a third. Michael's got a charge over, and Gabriel, they had, and Satan's guy followed him. Dummies. But the Bible says when Michael come to deal with Satan, he didn't even use his own name. You'd think if he's an angelic being, he could say, hey, dude, back her down now. I've showed up. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He used the Lord's name. The archangel used the Lord's name. So I'm going to got some news for you. The devil don't run off because you're crying and feel sorry for you. He don't run off because you get loud and aggressive. He runs off because he's afraid of Jesus. That's why he runs off. 
He knows his work's been finished. He's just waiting for it all to implode. He is already been judged. And all that's happened at the cross. So whatever your provision is that's needed, it was paid for at the cross through Jesus Christ. Let me go on. He says, so what we say, if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean you're not going to have opposition, Satan's opposition, and whoever follows him. But it's futile. It's futile if you're in Christ. You're going to win. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but see, it's all going back to the cross. This power, this whatever you need is going back. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Everybody say all things. What do you need? We need some of all those things, right? It may be different this week. It may be something else next week, but he's a good father. How many of you are going to, your son comes and said, I need something to eat, and you say, well... Ain't feeling it today. You can't have nothing. Think of God as your father. One of the things the devil has done is he's distorted us into letting us only view God as a boss. Now, he is the boss, he does have the final authority, but he offers himself to those who follow him, you and I, as a father. And I'm going to say this real carefully if you don't view God, if you don't view God as a father, you're going to miss most of what he does. He's the boss. We know that. He's in charge. But if you don't view, and I know that's hard for some people because you didn't have a good father maybe. Maybe you had a knucklehead as a father. Don't judge God by that. Everybody's had a bad experience or two. But the Bible says in Psalm 27, when the father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. He wants to be your father. View him as a father. Now, a father has a strong hand. And a father brings discipline, and he brings guidance and provision and all that stuff. But you've got to view him as a father. If you don't, you'll miss most of what he does. I, I feared. And you know what the thing that brings the most fear in my life? I'm not talking about being afraid. I'm talking about good fear. Accountability. That's what instills the kind of fear in me that I need working in my life is accountability. I'm going to have to talk to God. I'm going to have to answer God someday. That's the kind of fear we all need, that, that we're going to be accountable, right? Whether you're on a job somewhere, you've got some level of accountability. Whether you played on a ball team or anything like that, there's a level of accountability. And that's what strikes the greatest position of fear in my life is to know that someday I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of myself whether I did things his way or my way. And nothing else is going to be there that day. <clears throat> They're going to, all of our accolades and accomplishments and all of our assets on earth, none of that will be there that day. My mother won't be there pleading my case. Jesus will, though, because I'm in his trust fund. When the devil says, yeah, but this guy, let me show you what this guy was. Let me show you what this guy did. And Jesus said, yeah, but... I covered all that. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west. That's the best news about the trust fund, isn't it? Is that our sins are gone and covered, and they've been gone as far as the east is from the west, which means we'll never sin again, right? Because the east and west never meet. They keep going. So if God's for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies Verse 30, who is it condemns? It is Christ who died. So he's back to this cross. Who is furthermore is risen. Is also at the right hand of God making intercession for us. 
That's what Jesus is doing. He's praying for you and I. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Everybody say no. Distress? Now this is the benefits, right? Of a trust fund. Persecution? What happened in Hebrews? You got to hang on to your grip. Because if you let go, Hebrews, remember that? Two and one, if you let go, other currents will sweep you away. That's what the, the Holy Spirit's trying to get across there. Hang on to the Word. Hang on to Jesus. Hang on to your trust fund. What if somebody left you a $10 million trust fund? You'd hang on to it like nobody's business, wouldn't you? Somebody give me one, and I'll show you how that works. You would hang on to it, wouldn't you? You're, we're, we're all in the flesh. Is anybody not in the flesh? Is, you'd sit beside somebody that's not in the flesh. We're all in the flesh, right? I said it before. Sister, uh, Mother Teresa got the Nobel Peace Prize and won a million dollars, whatever, and gave it all away. I ain't there yet. I'd pay my tithes. I would pay my tithes. I'd give some offerings, but I'd spend a little bit of it. That, uh, right? If you think about it, that's how natural we are. We guard stuff. We guard it. That's mine. I'm going to keep, that's what I'm planning on. That's, what, that's how we are to guard this trust fund. We ought to stay, stay in, look what he says. He's died for us. He has given us all these things. A famine, no. nakedness, no. peril, no. sword. And then Paul says, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because you have a trust fund in Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody give him praise for that. Amen. You guys can come to the instruments. God is right here for us. I'm trying to change my own posture. As I told you, when I got healed about three weeks ago, my posture changed. I wasn't getting up every day focusing on my issue and getting frustrated on it and then trying to fight the devil over it. I just started waking up and saying, going back to the cross. It changed things. Because you got to be careful. We're flesh, and we like to fight in the flesh. But the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Anybody hearing me? But yet we act like it sometimes. I tell you, it's been a few days when I'd like to punch a devil right in the mouth. I'd like to be the guy responsible for him having false teeth. Let's stand our feet. But something changed. And the Holy Spirit, as I shared my testimony from years ago, something changed. What changed is the Holy Spirit was saying, quit getting caught up in the moment and come back to the cross where your trust fund's at. And start appropriating. Are you hear me? Start appropriating the things that are for you. Now I'm going to tell you something before I close. I told you the testimony about the ulcer and how God said you've already been healed. You're just waiting on the manifestation of it. That was the beginning of that. I was like 20 years old then. I'm 55 now. Somewhere along this journey, I had a vision or a dream. I can't remember which at this time. 
But I've shared this with you all about going to heaven and the Lord opening these big garage doors and all the stuff being filled. And I told the Lord when we were walking down the street and he was opening up these big storage units and I was saying, we, can need, we need that stuff down there. We need, and he said, well, it's here if you'll have faith and believe and appropriate it. Are you getting me? And then last, like four weeks ago, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, now here's, I'm going to finish something. You see how long it's took the Lord to do that? I must be hard-headed. I am hard-headed. Most of the time in a good thing. But it's took him, a, he's took me on a journey. Man, I feel this. And he said, I want you, when you battle, to not battle in the moment. I want you to go back to the cross and understand the victory's already been won. The battle's already been won. I'm just standing. It doesn't matter. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Do you know my sickness was stamped and paid for on Calvary? My gastro problem that he healed me from? Do you know your sickness is paid for there? Do you know your sins were paid for there? You know all that? And now, when you go read Isaiah, and I'm going to close with this. It's my third close. I usually close on the third time. When you go read Isaiah and he, and he proclaims the Lord as the glory and the lifter of your head, that's you and me. You know why? Because we're never broke. We got a trust fund. You're never going under if you look to the trust fund. And what happened is, he, when, in Isaiah's day, back in Israel and those uh, communities then, they would have a post in the middle of the town. And if you couldn't pay your debt, they wouldn't put your name and how much you owed on that post so everybody could see it. Now, the people where I grew up in those hollers, they must have known that because we had country stores everywhere when I was growing up. And if you bounced a check, it was right on the counter for the whole community to see it, right? Insufficient funds. You and I have sufficient funds. But here's what would happen back in those days. Sometimes somebody out of compassion, and the people who had those debts would walk around town with their head down because they were embarrassed, couldn't pay their debt. <clears throat> but then somebody who had compassion in the means sometimes would take somebody's debt off that pole. Are you hearing me? All of us had a, had a, had a notice on that pole, and it's called S-I-N. And they would take that note off and pay that person's debt. And they could lift their head. That person was considered the glory and the lifter of their head. Guess who's the glory and the lifter of your head? The one that left you a trust fund that never runs dry? Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give him praise. Let's close our eyes for a moment here. Lord, we thank you that you've not left us to ourselves. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We want this word to so saturate us, God, that we're walking in victory. We're not scrounging for victories. We're living in it. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the glory and the lifter of our head. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that hasn't given your life to Jesus Christ, we want to offer you that opportunity. In Him, all the promises are yes, whatever, starting with forgiveness and eternal life. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you felt like you had reason. Maybe you got discouraged. Maybe you felt like the Lord let you down. Maybe you were trying the wrong trust fund because everything the Father had was still there. Maybe you need to come home today.
whatever you need, the provision has been provided. As we worship him, this altar is open.
want to be filled with joy because that's where our strength lies. And we want to carry that out to others. We all know people who are down and out, downcast. We're never going to compromise the truth. We want to be the church, the body of Christ, and Basilea and all its tentacles where we never compromise truth, but we retain the joy of the Lord. People need to see that we really believe in what we believe in and that it makes us happy that we don't live in fear because we live in a risen Savior, in Him. We live in that. You guys can come get your ailments. so thankful for what Jesus has paid for. Man, we could have never paid for it, for one thing, and I'd have hate to even tried. I would have hate to have even tried. I want to read the end of this passage and then come back through it before we take communion. Uh, and, and Paul says in Corinthians, or the Holy Spirit through Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Strange, isn't it? Why didn't He talk about the resurrection? I mean, we all know how important the resurrection is. Without the resurrection, we'd all have no hope. And it is really important. But there's an emphasis placed here on His death. That's that cross. We gotta, I, I'm okay with hooping and hollering over the resurrection, but I'm hooping and hollering just as much for the cross. It all started with the cross. A couple of things being said here, I believe. Number one, that's where our, everything's paid for. Number two, and you notice this with generations. They sometimes up and coming generations forget the price that's been paid. Sometimes maybe it's a business. Maybe the great great grandson forgot how much his great great grandfather did without 
worked his fingers to the bone, slip on the dirt floor to get the company to where it was at. It had no value to him. I think that's what we're guarding against. There's no new way to get saved. You get saved by the work that Jesus did. Hanging on that tree. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, it's your body that makes a difference, not ours. When we become a part of your body as we surrender our lives to you and are born again, redeemed, saved. And as we lift this bread, we remember your sacrifice. All the pain that came through that whip and through that crown of thorns and through the punching and all the spitting and the spear, the nails, how your body was broken that day you gave up the ghost and died for us what a price that the father paid to offer us eternal life we eat this bread in full awareness of that in Jesus name in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we remember in our heart right now, in our mind's eye, we reflect on the day they took you to the praetorium. The day they beat your back with that whip the day they shoved that crown of thorns into your brow. The day they laid, laid that old rugged cross on your back that was already shredded probably to where your organs were exposed. And you started up that hill. We remember you falling underneath the weight of the cross. We remember them nailing those spikes in your hands and feet. We remember you saying it is finished. And it was all finished. Everything I need in you. We celebrate your willingness to die as we drink this cup in Jesus' name. Just for a moment here.